Is prayer coming to California public schools? Well, maybe. And what about the new ethnic studies model curriculum in California public schools? Well, this and more in this week's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live, looking at these things through the lens of Scripture. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective on a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you by applying God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. This is Podcast 030, Podcast 30, and today we talk about the mandatory ethnic studies curriculum for California public schools. So let's get started. All right. Yeah, Keith, this week I think it'll be a little bit different than some of the other discussions that we've had on previous podcasts about public school, private school. Uh, One important difference is we're going to talk about prayer coming back to uh, the public schools in California and kind of what that looks like inside of this new ethnic studies curriculum. But I think the other difference that we're going to see is I think as we've talked about schools and public school systems in the past, I've often said, you know, I've been pretty fortunate to not have to deal with a lot of this critical race theory and some of these these weird things uh, that the school systems do. Uh, that all changed last week when I got a text message from my daughter's school district stating uh, that they're going to have a seminar on how to raise an anti-racist family. And so even in a public school where I felt pretty safe, you can now see this stuff starting to creep in. Yeah, well, you know, this is the thing. It's progressive. They don't call them progressives for nothing. And I look at this flyer from the Oak Grove School District here in San Jose, and you can see this is a full-on indoctrination of both parents and children. And you know what? We'll post that, uh, that flyer on our resource page, and I think we should discuss it in another podcast because I'd like to dive into that a little bit deeper. Let's do that after Easter. All right, sounds good. So in the meantime, prayer is back in the California public schools, or at least they're trying to bring it back. Are they really able to do this? Well, they they could be. I, I would say yes and no. It depends on who gets their way and how far they're willing to go. And also, if we can get to the bottom of the editing of this ethnic studies model curriculum in the California public schools that is mandated, you cannot graduate high school in California without going through this training. And this training is going to depend a lot about teachers and their teaching outlines and what resources they use. And there is a real danger here, I suppose, because teachers are encouraged to supplement course outlines, and there are ever-changing resources referred to on the outline uh, opportunities. And there's been an intentional ambiguity in our media, but one thing is clear that the belief systems and the aim of its primary author and source documents are incredibly harmful and they are unmistakably racist and bigoted. You see, the key contributor to this curriculum is a teacher in the LA Unified School District, and he's something of an anti-Israel or even anti-Semite and a full-on critical theory, anti-white person, I would call him or think of him as a neo-racist from a critical theory perspective. And that's why we need to pray for our public school teachers and administrators, and particularly for those who are Christians within the system. They have a passion for educating children, and they have a ministry there, I think, to be salt and light in this difficult environment. But with this curriculum, things are about to become incredibly, incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think this new curriculum, although there's a lot that we don't know about it yet, it does seem to be something that 
isn't just another curriculum. It seems like there's something more there. There's something beneath the surface. There's definitely something beneath the surface, Mark. It's been kind of a top-down thing forced by the California university system. They want students coming in with this training. This may look like, on the surface, just another curriculum, just another requirement. But when we look at the authors and the source documents that underline this materials, and we'll provide online access to PDFs of these source documents, you can see that this curriculum in its original form was so extreme that even many people on the left, like Governor Gavin Newsom opposed it. In fact, I believe he vetoed it. And so we'll put links to the original source material on our resource page. But here's what we need to know, is this stuff is radical. And the philosophy that undergirds all of this isn't something you, you just can't reformat this or, or edit it here and there. This curriculum needs to be gutted and started over. It is so controversial. It is so, so radical. So why don't you talk about that for a minute? I know this past Sunday you referenced the Aztec prayer piece of this curriculum, but that just seems to be the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Well, it is and it isn't. It's all part of one, you know, they're all interwoven and it's all bad. And, you know, let's just start out with, you know, some credible source like the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal began reporting on all the controversies around the development of this curriculum as far back as 2019. And what they wrote was this, the thrust of the hundreds of pages of course outlines is to enlist students in progressive politics. One of the main focuses of ethnic studies is translating historical lessons and critical race theory into direct action for social justice. Now, I'm quoting the Wall Street Journal as they quote an outline. So the aim of the curriculum is to move students, that is the children of parents, to action, to provoke them to action aligned with progressive causes. And this isn't the core business of educators. It's not their right either, but this is where the educational establishment is now becoming a, an indoctrination camp where students are programmed or reprogrammed along the lines of a certain ideology. And when you read some of this material, even the exercises in the curriculum point towards this. An example is this. One of the exercises in the curriculum it has to do with lessons on Black Lives Matter. And it talks about the Black Lives Matter movement and how there should be a classroom discussion of a local or national incident involving police brutality. This was reported by edsource.org, which is an online magazine for educators. And what you see here is there's the assumption that cops are killers or after minorities. And the material presupposes that police officers are prone to brutality. So you're starting with a presupposition, Mark, and the curriculum and its source documents force a worldview that makes exactly that assumption. And that's why initially many in the educational field, even left-leaning uh, educators, found the material too extreme for the time being, and they forced a so-called rewrite. And some observe that while the language of the new document is a little more moderate or inclusive, encouraging classroom discussion of students of all ethnicities and backgrounds, the primary focus is really on African-American, Chicano, Latino, Native American, and indigenous people. And the reality is the country is much more diverse than that. You have Pacific Islanders, you have people of Middle Eastern extraction, you have people from different parts of Europe, you have people who are or Arabic or Jewish. But here's the problem. This curriculum is bigoted. 
it, it takes a particular point of view. And to give you an example of this, here's a report from the Jerusalem Post. Let me read this to you. The model curriculum approved today by the State Board of Education is a vast improvement over prior drafts and a win for everyone who fought to remove, what did they fight to remove? Bigoted and discriminatory content about Jews and Israel. The American Jewish Committee also released a statement expressing disappointment, saying that the revisions since the first draft were a salve, but ultimately not curative. That's, these are revealing comments. This tells you how bad the original draft was. And so being a salve, but not curative, really speaks to the fact that the worldview, the extremism, has been moderated by degrees, but not in principle. And so what we're trying to fix here, it seems like, is the unfixable, something built on a faulty foundation of unreliable and bigoted presuppositions. It would be like putting a, a Band-Aid, perhaps, on a serious wound or a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And that's why Jewish organizations in the state got after these people both for not discussing the American Jewish experience, but also for including anti-Semitic language as well as anti-Israel sanctions. And here's the thing. In the original draft, it endorsed a boycott of Israel and also included a song lyric suggesting that Jews manipulated the press. And according to an, another online magazine, there was just so much wrong with this that it was considered unfixable. But that's what they've tried to do. They've tried to tone down the language but keep the substance unchanged. So they've basically tried to correct this curriculum by toning down the language but still keeping the approach and the mindset and kind of the underlying themes of this curriculum the same. Well, Mark, that's the whole point of, you know, of today's podcast. Really, there's this hostile spirit that remains. Some of the changes are basically cosmetic. And the danger is, while they've toned a lot of things down, they, they have a resource material that we can't all see online. And there's plenty of supplemental material that an educator could bring into the classroom that will escape our scrutiny. And this is the danger. It's not what is shown, but what is not shown. And here's what one of the uh, curriculum's authors, a critical race theory type, R. Tolteca Kahutan. He's a Los Angeles school teacher and co-chair of the advisory committee that, cr that created the original draft curriculum. And he's also one of the authors that the curriculum quotes heavily. And he said that he was pleased with the latest revision, that it's more of a reformat than a rewrite, because it still incorporates key elements of the original draft. Now, he also said that there are some significant omissions that he's very dissatisfied with that will have to be fleshed out in the coming days. So we don't know what's going to stay out or what's going to come back in. And he goes, went on to say that this toned-down version is disappointing to him because, quote, it now further caters to whiteness and the status quo attacks in significant ways. There's this critical justice, critical theory racist edge to the whole project. Wow, that's coming from one of the writers of the curriculum. That doesn't sound very promising at all. It's not, because ultimately, here's where the authors are coming from. Much of the material comes from uh, Tolteca's, Cahoten's uh, book entitled Rethinking Ethnic Studies. It's quoted throughout the curriculum, and it argues that the United States was founded on Eurocentric, white supremacist, racist, anti-black, anti-indigenous, capitalist, patriarchal, heteropatriarchal, or homophobic mindsets brought from Europe. 
And this is where the authors are coming from. Western civilization and America are evil and useless, as are white people. His material suggests that whites began in his, and this is in quotes, grabbing land, hatching hierarchies, and developing uh, for Europe whiteness, which created excessive wealth that became the basis for a capitalist economy. What you have here is bigotry. Because no matter who you're bigoted against or no matter who you discriminate against, it's always wrong. And there's this mindset of cultural assassination, sort of a reverse discrimination that pervades the material. He writes about how whites established a hegemony that continues to this present day in which minorities are subjected to socialization, domestication, and zombification. Wait, zombification? I think that's a term that's going to need some describing. Yeah, well, a lot of this stuff just shows up in the edited material, and you can see why many, even on the left, were uncomfortable with it. But it's not that they disagreed with the thrust of it all. It's that they felt the timing that they were trying to accomplish too much too soon. So it's a form over substance concern. It's cosmetic. Because in the source material, the authors express a desire to reverse what they consider something called theocide, that's the white gods uh, killing the indigenous gods. And again, the Wall Street Journal indicates this is all about translating historical lessons and critical race theory into direct action by the students. In other words, programming them. And today's revision is really not much different. And the authors indicate additional details or additions or deletions will be fleshed out in the days ahead, One wonders what that means. One wonders what will be reinstated. And the aim of the curricula is to have teachers, have students participate in exercises to encourage them or into social movements and struggles for social justice and the recreation and reconstitution of our society. And in looking at supplemental material, some of the exercises they may do in class And this is where the prayer thing comes in, is appealing to Aztec gods. You know, students clap their hands and chant to the Aztec god Tezcatlipoca, who the Aztecs used to worship by human sacrifice. And in such an exercise, the students are also to chant to another group of Aztec gods seeking healing epistemologies and a revolutionary spirit. And included in this group of gods in particular is the Aztec deity of war, which the Aztecs used to worship by human sacrificing hundreds of thousands of neighboring tribes. And these exercises often climax with a request for liberation, transformation, decolonization, after which students shout, Ponche Bay, Ponche Bay, in the ultimate pursuit of what the uh, authors call critical consciousness. So I guess this is where the return to prayer in school comes from. And it's really a marked departure from the way schools have been for years, for decades. Um, And now you see this prayer come back in a way that we as Christians definitely identify as not good and not a way we want to have our kids praying. Well, yeah, and whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Sikh, uh, you would find this uh, offensive, worshiping. Here's the thing, when you appeal or request any god to do anything, that's prayer. And these days, everybody makes a big deal about the separation of church and state. 
But this is the uh, advancement of some sort of religious mindset. And this is, uh, you hear these discussions of epistemology and cosmology and worldview. They're pressing a religion here, and they're asking these kids to pray to Aztec deities. And according to one writer, these chants have a clear implication, and that is the displacement of the Christian God, which is said to be an extension of white supremacism, oppression, and to wipe this out from the culture and restore indigenous gods to what they call their rightful place in the social justice cosmology. So, Keith, this is where I really start to get worried as a parent to really think, man, what are these schools doing? They're creating this new religion and they're trying to indoctrinate my kids. And really, I'm just sending my kid to school to be educated. I want them to learn how to read or write those things. And I think that this shift is really something that makes me as a parent feel uncomfortable and really not want to have my kids face this sort of indoctrination? Well, that's to say, education and indoctrination aren't the same thing. When you're teaching a child to write, you're giving him or her competency and, and a useful skill. When you're teaching them mathematics, you're giving them competency. When you're teaching them a language, when you're teaching them grammar, it's a competency. This has nothing to do with competency. This is about worldview. This is a it, the most distant, it's a first cousin of religion, you are forcing a political, a worldview, a, an ideological mindset on students and saying this is the only thing that's right. And California's parents should be concerned. California teachers should be concerned because the vision of this is presenting education not as a means of achieving competency, but as a means of indoctrinating for transformation, social change, political change. And it's brainwashing. That's basically it right there. Yeah. And then you have all the revisions that are still yet to be seen. And I know you did a lot of research before we came into this trying to find exactly what this whole curriculum would look like. And there seems to be quite a bit of ambiguity still there. Well, that's just it. You know, the devil is in the details. And so you have these course outlines, but you don't have a copy of the curriculum. And they call this the ethnic studies model curriculum. And so, you know, a teacher can import any and all kinds of things. And, and I don't want to leave this, I don't want to leave the, in, the, the inculcation of political values to a teacher. That is the parent's responsibility. And these people are not done yet because this is really just the beginning. What this is is laying the groundwork for the next stage of the alienation of students from their parents and from their parents' uh, culture. You know, this is what they did in China, and eventually the, the, the children turned in their parents to the authorities. And it, I know it seems far-fetched, but look at this through the lens of history, and you see what might be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, you know, as I hear you talk about this, and I hear this indoctrination or these schools trying to inform our students' worldview that's just not their job. We've got schools to educate children, to give them skills, and parents are the ones who should be giving their kids worldview and a lens in which to view the world through. And so I guess my question to you, Keith, is what's a parent to do? 
And what can teachers who have to teach this stuff and don't agree with it do? Well, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, God allows us government for good. You know, Romans 13 talks about how, you know, God has given us institutions. First Peter 2 tells us to respect every human institution and basically to utilize them for good. And so what we need to do is use the systems that God and his providence and sovereignty have given us. So a couple of things. One, they're the courts. We have courts. This violates the Constitution. The state shall not establish a state religion, and that is what is happening here. And so parents need to sue. Uh, they need to petition and attend you know, town hall meetings. They need to confront uh, teachers, administrators, school boards. They need to write state representatives. They need to put the pressure back on this group and push back because what's happening here is the damaging of little souls and not so little souls by polluting them and poisoning their minds with this filth. You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, stumbling blocks are bound to come, but woe to him or her through who these stumbling blocks come. It would be better for a millstone to be tied about around somebody's neck and them thrown into the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. As parents and as teachers, we cannot afford to let this system, this ideology, cause these little ones to stumble. And so it, there is a time and a place to push back. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time and a season for everything under heaven. And the time is now because this just isn't your normal persecution. They're bullying a society with this. And so we are to help the weak. We are to stand up for the weak. We are to protect our families. And so the time is now to act using any and all legal means at our disposal. We are to pray. We are to be people of prayer. And I would say pray like it depends on you. Act like it depends on you. And rest it like it depends on God. Because ultimately God is sovereign over this. God has given us the means to resist this. And where these people are in danger, we need to help them. You know, if you're a teacher, you can get after your union representative. You can, by the, the Supreme Court rule years ago, that you can have them not use your dues for political purposes. I mean, we're all accountable for how we resist this injustice. And we don't want to be part of a larger system through which stumbling blocks come. And at the end of the day, I'm just glad that God is in control because this is a serious, serious matter. Well, that's it for today. I think uh, we'll stop here, Mark. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you'd like additional resources, we'll be providing them on our resource page at www.gracetoliveradio.org. Hit that resource button. If you have questions, email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit our website at www.hillside.org forward slash services. Come and see us at Easter. We're having two Good Friday services at 5 and 7. Uh, Easter Sunday, we have an 8 o'clock service, uh, a 9.45 service, and an 11.30 outdoor service. In the meantime, whatever your podcast platform, give us a good rating. Share us with your friends. We want to help you. These are difficult times to be a parent, difficult times to be a teacher, difficult times to be a Christian. We release this podcast every Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler. God bless you and God keep you.